0: Good morning to each and every one of you. Good morning. Yeah. this We had our dress rehearsal at 8 a.m. this morning for our beginning of our 8 a.m. service. And some of you uh, were thinking about, thinking about it, I know, because you said you forgot all about it this morning. But <laughs> we had some 43 here this morning early. So that's a good start, and I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. This is the 6th of the 7th. Churches that the letter is written to, and any pastor in his right mind would want to pastor this church that we're going to talk about today. This is our model. Someone has already asked me, Why in the world would you put 10 points down? (laughs) They just seem great. I don't know. It just. it's uh, normally I, I usually stay around three to five points, and uh, three to four is the norm. So today, buckle up, we're going to hit all ten points. The church at Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the Bible says in Revelation 3, beginning at verse 7 and following, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, Philadelphia. That's the smallest city, perhaps, of the whole group. It was a small city dating back to 159 B.C. It received its name from King Attalus II, the king of Pergamum, whose loyalty to his brother, Eumenes, won him the title Philadelphus, which is translated brother-lover, because of his affection for his brother this city was uh, small. It was originally established to eliminate the pagans and to introduce Greek culture to the area. It was also uh, tabbed the gateway to the east. And remember that as we go through our points. And so here we are to the church at Philadelphia. Jesus identified himself in this way. These are the words of him who is Holy. And true. Jesus identified himself as holy, contrasted with the unholy, with the false gods of paganism that existed in the area at the time. He is the true God. Jesus is holy. He is the one that is God. He defines the word God. He is also true, he is genuine. He is objective reality. He is one who is behind all that truly exists. Jesus left no gray areas about himself. In this day and age when, when people are wondering what truth really is, Jesus is the truth. He identified himself as the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I read a recent poll That said that some 54% of people who claim to be Christians Believe that there are any number of ways to God That's not truth folks That's a lie Why do I say it's a lie? It's not my opinion It's the opinion of the truth himself Jesus Christ If he is the way, the truth, and the life And that no one comes to the Father but through him If you want to know truth You must know Jesus Jesus you, when we are bombarded on a daily basis through the internet, through the television, through the radio, through the newspaper, through the media sources, through Hollywood, through the movies, through anything that you can imagine, you want to kind of muddle through all of that and find your way to the truth. I can give you a free way to find your way to truth, and that's Jesus Christ. Start with him. Continue with Him and end with Him because He is the truth. He is holy. He is separate from man. He is apart from man. He defines the word holy and He is true. He says He is the key of David. He says who holds the key of David? What He opens no one can shut and what He shuts no one can open. The key of David. Where does that come from? Isaiah twenty-two twenty-two gives the account of those words that were spoken In the days of Judah and their exile to Babylon, Isaiah the prophet spoke them. In the days when there was a uh, court administrator by the name of Shebna. Shebna was uh, an evil administrator. He was one that used the position of power for his own purpose. He had the keys to the throne of David, basically to the kingdom He used it for his own personal use. There were some theologians that believe he probably allied with foreign sources as well. Uh, And so Shebna was eliminated from that position by God himself. Isaiah prophesied that he he would be taken off of his position, sent to the Babylonian captivity, and there he would languish and ultimately die and he was replaced by a man by the name of Eliakim. Eliakim was the one that had the keys to the kingdom of David, but Eliakim was a temporary person with the keys. And parallel, like Eliakim, to the extent, Jesus is the one that has the keys to the kingdom. His is an eternal kingdom, it's one that will never end. He has the keys to death and hell, He has the keys. He is the one. And so he identifies himself. And what he, what he shuts, no one can open. What he opens, no one can shut. His uh, key was his kingly authority to a kingdom that has no end. It is his security. And then he says, I know your deeds. Jesus walks among the churches today. He knows us. He knows our motivation. He knows what drives us. He knows why we serve, who we serve, what we serve. He knows everything about us as a congregation, as an individual. There's nothing hidden from Him. He knows our deeds. Now, here are the ten rewards of faithfulness. This is a church that not one negative comment was made by Jesus about this particular church. It's a church that every pastor would like to pastor. I'd love to sit here. And I look at some of these rewards, and I'm thinking, we are somewhere close by. Look, first of all, he starts out, I have placed before you an open door, verse 8, that no one can shut. An open door. Here was this church that was positioned as a, a gateway to the east. If you're a gateway to the east, you're also a gateway to the west if you're coming from the east and going west. So they were prominently positioned in an area where they could have an impact for the kingdom of God. You and I have an open door. You know, I was just ecstatic when I was going through this this week. I was really excited about this because I see... Our congregation having an open door. God has given us so many opportunities. We've got 26 missionary families that we support across the world. We have been uh, challenged by the Timothy Initiative last week, and we have responded to that challenge for the last few years. We have started a, a training center in South Sudan. We have started churches i don't know how many at last i count was 17 uh through not only through india but through nepal and now we're going to continue on with that challenge we have opportunities to reach our community we have an open door here we have dental clinics we have opportunities for church plants we have opportunities to reach our community through any number of activities We have opportunities to reach our state and our nation and our world. We have an open door before us, and no one can shut it. If Jesus has opened it, no one can shut it. It's there. We have opportunities through this last year and a half. I have mentioned we have opportunities on the Internet to reach the world at large. We are probably reaching four times at least as many people on on a given week than we ever have before COVID hit. God said you were misbehaving I'm going to send you to your room and so he he sequestered people and throughout the world they are looking for answers they are looking for answers you heard last week and I've been told weeks before on different news sources the fastest growing Christian church in the world is located in Iran it's hard to believe that but it's an underground church Much like China. It's an underground church. And they are meeting in homes. They are meeting in in coffee places. They are meeting in private homes. Anywhere they can meet. And they meet. They understand like in Iran. That when the women who are leading this revival. In this uh, Muslim nation. These women kiss their families goodbye in the morning. And they may or may not see them at night. But they tell them, if I don't, I'll see you on the other side. And it's okay. Because they are committed to the Lord. And what the Lord has opened as a door in Iran, no one can shut. Not even the government. They can do all they can to persecute it. But the thing about the Christian movement is that when government or religious entities try to squash our faith, it only spreads it that much faster. The church has always been watered by the blood of martyrs and it will continue to do so and Jesus says you've got an open door before you. As a congregation we have an open door. Don't ever let us back down on an opportunity to be a ministering church, to be in a church of outreach sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't ever let us do that. And you as an individual have an open door before you. What is that open door? the apostle Paul remember he wanted to go into where? Bithynia was prevented and there was that Macedonian call that Macedonian uh, vision where an individual from Troas wanted him to come help them there and as a result the gospel spread throughout the western European areas what is the open door for you God has opened a door for you I don't know what it is but he has placed that open door and what God has opened no one can shut that open door may be that friend that you had coffee with that open door may be somebody that that you've come in contact with in your neighborhood in your club wherever it is in your school your work that open door what is it but the door doesn't stay open forever when God shuts the door, no man can open it. That's what Paul learned in his desire to go over into Bithynia. When the Lord shut the door, he was prevented. But he opened another one. God places, one of the rewards of our faithfulness is an open door. You know, some people that I've talked to from time to time tell me about their open door and when they they talk about it, they say, you know, Trinity, I mean, really? Look, we're a small church. We're only, what, 400 plus? I don't know how many we have. 400 plus, we got a lot more than that are involved with us. But understand this, that God's never been impressed with a majority rule. God's never been impressed with sheer numbers. God's not just impressed with a large church because sometimes... Uh, Large churches have an idea that the vision is not there. Large churches oftentimes uh, don't have the heart for the Lord that sometimes smaller churches do. You know, there's there's that situation where uh, in, in your life and in mine and in the life of this church, we need to understand that whatever God's called us to do He's going to empower us to do just that So don't ever look at the obstacles Unbelief sees obstacles Belief sees opportunity Unbelief sees closed doors Belief sees open doors for opportunity Secondly, he gave power I want you to see the way this is written in the Greek It's a little bit different But he says in this He says, you know, you have a little power You have a little power. But the implication is to this power in verse 8 is that you have strength, that you have mustered, that I have given you through your abilities. You have that power. But my desire is that I see you take these open doors and move through them, and the more that you move forward in faith the more strength you're going to have. The more power you're going to possess, the more you're going to do it. This refers to the size and the influence of this church at this particular time. It may not have had a great impact on the community at this particular time. It may not have been recognized by the chambers of power. But Christ is saying, hang on. Because the more faithful you become, the greater your strength. I will give you strength commensurate with the task that I've assigned you. And so you've got open doors. It had a vision to reach the world. Size never determines success, folks. Only faithfulness does. Thirdly, your enemies will be neutralized. Look at verse 9. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Your enemies are going to be neutralized. The only opposition we see in Philadelphia is among the Jewish congregation. But Jesus is saying these aren't true Jews because to go back to Abraham, Abraham's faith was what was counted for his righteousness. And... They are saying that they rejected the only begotten Son of God. They've rejected Jesus as the Messiah. So they're not truly part of that church. And yet one day they will come down and they will be uh, your servants. Your enemies will be neutralized. The main opposition will be eliminated. Number four you will have protection from your ultimate tribulation, look at verse 10 since you have kept my command to endure patiently I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth, whoa amen what does that mean you ever read Matthew 24 or Mark 13 and the time, the signs of the time are going to come prior in the tribulation, you know they're coming there's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and pestilences, earthquakes, brought on by volcanic eruptions and all of this. It's a prelude. It's birth pains, as Jesus said, like pains to a woman. The closer that they get, the more the sun is about to arrive. <laughs> oh, man. And he's saying, this to me is... is the second coming of Jesus this is the rapture of the church as far as I feel is that you're going to experience certain things that are listed in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 but because you have been faithful and have continued to be patient with with the Lord in his return when he returns we're going to be raptured or taken up into heaven with him on that particular time what a glorious promise this is so that protection from the ultimate tribulation is ours. Stability. Look at verse 12. He continues on by saying, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar. But not a pillow. We don't need people to sleep in the church. This is a pillar. Now, interestingly about pillars is that Paul himself in Galatians 2 called Peter, James, and John pillars of the church. I don't know about you, but I love archaeological digs. I love uh, ancient sites. I've seen them in Italy and, and Greece and Turkey and I just, I love to explore them. One of the things that you'll notice in these sites is that when you go like to the Parthenon or something of that nature, the pillars are one of the only things that remain on those sites. Now keep in mind that there was an earthquake that struck the area of Philadelphia and the surrounding some 10 cities were involved in this in A.D. 17. And there, were a, there was a series of aftershocks for weeks to come in those areas. To the extent that it laid, it devastated these cities. And the citizens of those cities fled out to the environs, into the suburbs, and would not come back into the city. I was privileged to go into Port au Prince, Haiti, right after their earthquake had hit there the first time. And it was an amazing scene for me because. The multi-story buildings that had collapsed on themselves, some of them were banks, the Haitians would not go into any building that wasn't a one-story building. And so some of the banks had to put their ATM machines out in the parking areas, out in the lawn of the church, uh, of the banks, so that people would have access to them because they weren't going in to that building. And so this is the kind of fear that the people had in Philadelphia and in the environs in that area. And what does he say? He says, There, you, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar. In other words, there's stability. One of the rewards of our faithfulness is stability. The pillar, you will become a pillar. You will become part of that stabilizing force in the church of God in that day because he says of the temple the presence of the Lord he says the one who is victorious I will make a pillar in the temple of my God the temple in that day there won't be any temple like we have seen in Jerusalem there won't be any temple that that we will have to go to a building to worship the Lord The Bible tells us that after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in to the believers' lives, the day that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came into your life and dwelt in you. He's not just with you, He is in you. Jesus said that. The Comforter I will give, and He shall be with you and shall reside in you. Paul said in In 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So we are the temple, which means that we have God's presence not only now, but for all eternity. You don't have to go to a place to worship the Lord. His his Shekinah glory is going to fill eternity. He'll be worshipped everywhere we are at all times. Oh man, I can't wait for that. And so... The temple is where God dwells with his people. And we are his temple. Now seventh, in verse 12, there will be permanent residence. He said, never again will they leave it. You see that reference to that earthquake? They'll never leave it. No, he says, not in my new Jerusalem. There's not going to be any quakes. There's not going to be any turmoil. You never want to leave it. It's like you come to that place in your life where you're staying somewhere and say, I never want to leave. I never want to to leave this place. It's everything that I could imagine and then some. That's what eternity is going to be to the true believer of Jesus Christ. And then we have, and I'm going to close on these three. Jesus says in verse 12, You're going to have ownership. I will write on them the name of my God. The name of my God. Why? Because people in that area were accustomed to understand that the pagan religions branded or marked their followers in their symbols of their religious faith. And they were marked as true followers of that particular pagan God. Uh, Jesus says, oh no. You're going to have my God, my Father, is going to be printed on you. You true followers of Jesus Christ will have the ownership of God. You won't have to worry about it. It'll be there. Many, Many of these people understand that where the pagan followers were branded or marked for some fashion. One day, In all eternity, we're going to be the same way. And then second, there will be citizenship. The name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. A new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, a new city. You cannot comprehend what it's going to look like. When I was growing up, that that original Wizard of Oz, the flying monkeys were something else, but... uh, the city itself, you would think everybody wanted to dream about Oz, that that golden pathway, or the streets of gold in the kingdom of God. This that that has this new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven, and it's a perfect city with the with Jesus reigning completely and eternally. You're going to have a new citizenship, a new citizenship. You know. You can't do anything in life without a photo ID, hardly. You've got to tell people where you live. You've got to tell people uh, where you reside. If you leave the country, you've got to tell them what your citizenship is. You've got to have a passport. You're going to have a passport. It's going to be written on your heart. My citizenship is with the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you live? In the New Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's my home. What's your address? That's it. That's it. And then finally, I want to close on this one. Jesus says that I will also write on them my new name. I don't get it, you might say. What's that new name? Well, let's put it this way. When Jesus was about to be born, the angel of God appeared to Joseph to tell him that Mary was expecting and would bear him a son. And what did the angel say? And you were to give him the name Jesus. Yahweh saves. Jehovah saves. Salvation of God. So what's the new name about? Well, When eternity begins for us, the work of redemption has been completed. And Jesus has a new work to accomplish. So he will have a new name. Well, what is it, you say? Well, Revelation 19, 12 says, His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. What is it? Ask him when you see him because I don't know. And what is Jesus' encouragement? Two things. Verse 11 says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. Whatever you do, don't back up in your faith. Go forward. Don't decrease. Don't diminish your love of Jesus Christ. Don't decrease in your uh, service to him. When you see that open door, take it. When you see that opportunity, seize it. When you see a chance to serve him or to give for his glory, do it, hold on, whatever you do, don't decline an opportunity to be a faithful follower. Hold on, dig in, better days are yet to come. And then secondly, open your heart and ears There are some people that read Revelation. There are some people that read the Scripture uh, like you would a, a homework assignment. They're not interested in learning what the Lord has to say to them. They're not asking for inspiration. They may be curious, but that's about it. Are your ears open? Is your heart receptive? Is your soil receptive to the seed of God? this word do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior can you hear the promises of God to those who trust him have you ever trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior do you know him if you've never trusted Christ this is your opportunity to open your heart and ask him to come in it's just a simple prayer Lord Jesus I know that I've sinned I've disobeyed you And I know my sin has separated me from you. Father, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and make me what you want me to be. And then secondly, it's a matter of acknowledging him publicly. Jesus died publicly for you. The least you could do is acknowledge him publicly. So in a moment, we'll have our invitation, what we call our invitation, and I'll be here at the front to pray with you about any of your decisions. Some of you are looking for a church home. We've got a church family you can serve the Lord in. We've got a great place to serve here. And I can't wait to see what the Lord unveils for us in the days yet to come. But we need you, if you're called here, to join us in that effort. And then finally, for all of us, this is a time for rededication. Some of us have not been as faithful as we should be in seizing the opportunities that the Lord presents to us. This is your opportunity to do just that. Would you stand with me for prayer? Oh, Father, I praise you and I thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, I thank you for the decisions that are being made even now as we speak. Thank you for these decisions. Be with us now. May we honor and glorify you with everything that's in us. Thank you, Lord, for your rewards for our faithfulness father we didn't ask for it but part of your grace is extending that to those of us that love you so thank you father we lift this time of invitation up to you for it's in jesus name we pray amen as we sing in the hymn of invitation won't you come as god so directs